Welcome to the next episode of Leading Through the Lens of Cultural Proficiency. Now, today we're going to talk about the topic or the first part of our publication. Um, school leadership, educational debt, race, social class, and change. And so we wanna talk about today, why cultural proficiency? Why cultural proficiency? And we know that cultural proficiency, it's this inside out approach. Not only just an inside out approach, but for individuals. And then it's an inside out approach for organizations and how we practice cultural proficiency. And so when we think about that, now, let's talk about, Jamie, can you tell us a little bit about this school district, Evanston, and why they decided out of all the frameworks and out of all of the things that are out there right now dealing with equity, why they chose to use cultural proficiency as their framework? Absolutely. So before I get into those four points and we kind of open up our discussion around those four points in, in terms of why they selected this particular framework uh, to increase equity access and inclusion within their district. I, I just wanna talk a little bit about Evanston School District. So uh, Evanston is a, a state and national award-winning district. Um, it is named the most diverse uh, school district actually in the state. Um, Evanston was actually established as a place that fosters opportunities where children can live, learn, and grow. With almost 6,000 students, Evanston School District has one high school, two middle schools, a traditional school, five elementaries, as well as preschool and alternative education settings that serve students in grades 6 through 12. So the location of Evanston School District is pretty important. And it's unique because of its geographical and historical context. Positioned close to the county line that separates the urban center of a city and the suburban areas called the county, Evanston is situated in a corridor of numerous intersecting major interstate systems that connect the Eastern and Western United States. So because Evanston stands among many businesses, factories, uh, and an international air airport in a metropolitan county of more than 1 million people, the district receives approximately 90% of funds from local services. Uh, most notably, Evanston School District is related as the most diverse school in the state, as I mentioned earlier. And that's really important because of those dynamics of difference that really come into uh, the system. So the schools, the classrooms, uh, the student population represents 78 different countries, speaks 48 languages, and demographically is 46% white, 34% African-American or Black, 11% Hispanic, 5% multiracial, and 4% Asian. So intersectionality of cultural differences among Evanston students really is at the heart of the cultural proficiency work in Evanston. So why did they choose the cultural proficiency framework? Really, there are four reasons that I want us to just delve into a little bit as the authors of this book and um, have a little uh, dialogue around this. So the first reason that they chose this framework was to systemically address opportunity and educational gaps among students in regards to demographics such as race, ethnicity, and social class. So as I throw that out there, I wanna hear from uh, 
you all, what, what kind of comes to mind or, or what's resonating with you as I, I talk about that reasoning? As I, as I listened to the uh, issue of race, ethnicity and social class, just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to have conversations around demographic groups. And now with ESSA and most state initiatives, there's the opportunity to really disaggregate data into demographic groups to inform so to ensure that all students are receiving equitable opportunities and equitable outcomes. So that becomes a very, very important thing in my, my opinion, as we, any school or school district approaches equity using the lens of cultural deficiency. I think that uh, what's important is that the gaps were not hidden. At the, that, your, that the leadership in this district and with your help was able to bring forth and let people know that A, we have these gaps, B, most important, we care about it and we're looking for a way to, to improve. So we, we have a dissonance around the fact that this does exist. And it, one of the things that's changed in our language lately, um, lately in the last 10, 15 years, we used to talk about, you've got to believe that all students can learn. And the fact of the matter is, that really put the onus on the students. When we started switching, and especially in cultural proficiency circles, was can we teach all children? And your the district in this Evanston in this case chose to focus on that, and I think that's very very positive. Absolutely, I, I totally agree with what you're what you're saying, Keith. And it really shows how the superintendent of the district really took it to heart that it doesn't matter the income, it doesn't matter the address or zip code of those students or where they live, because you talked about the diversity and the, the range of the area in which Evanston sits. And it seems to me that that, that superintendent really wants um, the educators in the district to understand that it's not, the onus is not on the students, but on them as educators and how um, the decisions that they make connected to their funding, connected to the policies and the practices that they have within the district? How does that support and translate real access for every student within the district? And I thought that that was very important to, to bring out. You raise a really interesting point to make it because one of the things that surfaces in this study uh, is something we saw always, always see in schools. Anytime you raise these issues, there's the potential of conflict. And this group of people approach conflict as natural and normal. And the metaphor that we often use is, if you have a personal relationships outside of the education, do you ever have a difference of opinion with that person? And the answer is almost always yes. And so this school district was masterful in really taking a look at conflict uh, as differences of ideas, different perspectives, and using it as a way to do deep dive education, both internally for the individuals and with the uh, with the, with the system itself. It, it, it's, it's obvious they took the long, the long view of doing the work, so very impressive. The narration in the book does a, a good job of, of explaining and going through how the, the slow but steady process of including all the groups. I mean, we know we have um, those who would say, hey, I taught it, if they didn't learn, it was their problem. Um, and then we have people who are bending over backwards and going to people's homes, tutoring kids, trying to make sure that they can reach the grade level standards. So when you have that range of people, because Evanston is not a small district, 
we, the, the fact that those dynamics are at play and how you're going to manage that um, was, uh, is talked about a lot in the book. And I think they did a good job of taking all their systems and ex existing leadership teams and learning teams and grade level teams and beginning to take this together and focus it on cultural proficiency as the, as the way that we're gonna get to all students reaching grade level standards. Yeah, they did that through really providing all the stakeholders with very specific tools to just to really take a look at the current practices and all of that. Um, so, so people walk away not only facing the inequities and being able to address them, but they also have communication tools and problem solving tools they can use, you know, whether they're parents, uh, guardians, teachers, administrators, counselors. It, all participants really became more highly skilled in doing the work of complex organizations. Yeah. Yeah, so both both really of those conversations, I'm kind of drawing upon that because another reason that that is, is in the book uh, for why the Evanston School District used this framework was to, to manage those dynamics of difference. So whether you're talking about the conflict that exists within um, groups making decisions around uh, implementing and applying these tools of cultural proficiency, or you're talking about conflict that may be happening in the classroom. Um, you know, one thing that was just really intentional with the superintendent is he um, set out to embed the work of cultural proficiency in everything Evanston School District does. So in all departments, in all schools, if, if, you, if you think about it, you know, having all of these tentacles, really reaching out to see um, all of the places in which these tools can be applied. And so I think that's a big part of managing those dynamics of difference. Um, you know, I, I think about my work with that cultural proficiency committee and really building the relationships and trust through learning strategies, which the book does a really nice job of laying those out. Um, you know, there are so many ways to do that, but it's really important that you take the right steps, right? And you take those precautions to build that trust amongst the group as they're, um, you know, doing this work or, uh, yeah, implementing the, implementing the framework. And so you all as the, the listeners out there, that's something you'll, chapter four does a really nice job of laying out those pieces, those things you'll need for your journey and that destination um, as the leader of this work, some of those things that you'll have to think through. Um, I also want to tag on the third reason for uh, them using that cultural proficiency framework and that was to provide stakeholders in the district with those tools to examine uh, current implementation and outcomes of those practices and policies. So no matter what work um, is described throughout the book, whether we were talking about uh, the work being done at the district level and creating a district level equity action plan, whether um, you know, you're reading about the part where um, the reading specialist, uh, the librarians have been doing some work using those tools um, the, the thing that, that gets me so jazzed and, um, you know, keeps me so in lock with this culture proficiency framework is the ability to use those tools in every aspect of a school organization. Really, you can take it to the classroom level, to the sports field, to the music room, um, everything applies. Because, and, and that's what I say, you know, culture proficiency is the plate. Um, it's not, you know, and, and Kakanzanari Robbins in, in one of her videos says, Cultural proficiency isn't the latest, greatest Hershey bar. Um, it's, it's not something that just, just came to us here quickly. 
Um, it's been around for a while and she says it'll be around for a while longer. And that's because you can apply it to everything. Um, what you say, what you do, your practices, your programs in, in your schools and organizations. So I think also another, um, any point, other thoughts? I was just saying that another point is that when you think about the, the tools that you use and the processes that you went through with the folks, that's another way of managing differences because it gives people an opportunity in, in the room and on a piece of big chart paper or whatever the, the venue might be, it gives them an opportunity to express what they, they believe and, and, and see, and they get a chance to hear other, uh, everyone else's point of view as well. And sometimes some of those processes ended up with a, a very good chart of what every what the range of beliefs were in terms of uh, uh, wh why the gaps, uh, what we're gonna do about it, the tools of cultural proficiency, et cetera. So the, the process itself was one of the ways that you manage the dynamics of difference and got everybody a chance to, to feel about themselves. And the other th the last thing I'll say is every one of us has been, to a, been asked to do this work in a place where it's the school it's the department. It's not, it's, you know, and you know for a fact that it's a, it's this wonderful little island in the middle of a, of a huge organization that really doesn't know what they're doing. And, and they are actually succeeding despite the efforts of their district, not with the support of their district. So Evanston is, is a wonderful story, um, well told, but it is still, I wish it were more the norm. Totally, totally. And the work that they're doing is something that can be sustained and it can it, it can have that that in that systemic change within that lasts over time. Yeah. They're, they're looking at how it's institutionalized within their district. Yeah. Pick up on your no, word I'm sorry, that, go ahead, Randy. What? Yeah, to make his use of the word sustained. I think part of that is the fact that they have a common language. With the four tools, then they have the common language for how to proceed. So when people talk about barriers or guiding principles or they along the continuum or the five percent elements, there's no ambiguity there. And there are lots and lots of approaches out there to doing the work of equity and they all have credibility. Um, this is the one that we've selected and it's worked for us in a number of settings. And so to see the Eveston experience is uh, heartwarming. It's encouraging as our society continues to become increasingly inclusive. One of the, one of the things that is very difficult for me and that is when we start hearing when you start listening to the news and and the conversations of good well-meaning people they don't have a language with which to express what what's going on um, in, in the current news of the day and they don't have these frameworks that that are provided by cultural proficiency to have the conversations about the day and a lot of times you'll hear things and in the book, there's a whole section on the cultural proficiency continuum, well, in every book. Um, and the fact that they, they muddle that up and they, they, they don't realize where on the cultural proficiency continuum they're actually discussing something gets very, very difficult for me because I feel like I'm, you know, no, 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 you're talking about cultural blindness. You know, that, that is not the same as, as slavery. I mean, I, it just gets it gets very frustrating sometimes, and the more people that know about the language and the and the ability to use these tools, um, the better off everyone's going to be. I think. Adult language, adult conversation. Adult. 
adult yeah. language. We have concepts for different kinds of burritos and, and hamburgers, and uh, and we have we have concepts for different computers and our phones, and all, we have all this language, and yet here's one place where we just need to get better at at being able to have nuanced conversations about um, about the work that we're all working on in, in this area. Yeah. Well, and so uh, I don't want to get off of our our main topic here, but. Uh, one of the outcomes of the research study was that importance of creating that opportunity to engage in the reflection, dialogue, and action processes in this work. And so developing that language really comes through that continuous reflection and dialogue. Um, and, and that's whether you're sitting in an IEP meeting, you're planning out the next football game, um, you're, you're re revising curriculum, you're, you're working through hiring practices, whatever it is, um, is having that opportunity to engage in reflection and dialogue, thinking about who we are as cultural beings, how we're showing up in that space and how we're really impacting those that we are, um, we are serving. So it's all about opening doors for students. And, and you know, that's one of the biggest reasons um, that the superintendent of Eviston really has his eye, eye on that uh, of opening doors for those students in Eviston that aren't thriving. Nice. Part of the brilliance of, of his approach was from my understanding of reflection, he hits all three of them, you know, reflecting on practice, reflecting in practice and reflecting after. Uh, so it's, it's just, it's really sophisticated, very basic work, but you know, to, to merge that into conversations around race, ethnicity, social class, um, really gives people skills that they can take with them wherever they go off campus. You know, they, they become life skills. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Leading Through the Lens of Cultural Proficiency. We would like to extend a special thank you to our publisher, Corwin. For additional resources, visit the Center for Culturally Proficient Educational Practice at ccpep.org. And be sure to subscribe to Leading Through the Lens of Cultural Proficiency through iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you at the next stop on the Cultural Proficiency Journey.